Good morning. If you have a copy of the Scriptures, open up with me to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21, as we close out um, a series that we've been working through week by week called I Am, parentheses, Not Saved, and really answering the question, what does salvation look like? Can I know with assurance that I'm a follower of Jesus? And so um, it's been a month since I've been up here preaching, and so I'm super excited. Um, like I feel full in my spirit, and so I'm really, um, really looking forward today. But we're going to jump right in because we've got a lot of ground to cover. So if you'll do me the honor of standing with me in honor of reading God's Word. Um, we stand for two reasons at Living Hope. You guys know this when we read the Scriptures. Number one, because we want to honor the book that God gave us. This is how we get to know uh, our Savior. This is how we get to know the Creator is through the Scriptures. But also when we stand, this is us symbolically saying that we're submitting ourselves to the authority of God's word and saying, God, whatever you say to me today, through your word, I submit my life to you because you're Lord of my life. So Revelation chapter 21, we're going to read two verses today, and God's word says this, And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Verse 2, I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Let's pray. God, we love you so much. Jesus, thank you for the gathering of the local church. God, not only our local church, but churches literally around the world that are gathering this morning, millions and millions of people to celebrate the risen Savior that we know is Jesus. God, I pray now as we close out this series, God, that we would uh, just hear from you today, that your spirit would be in this room, Lord. So we ask for uh, ears to hear from you. God, we want soft hearts because we don't just want to hear the word, Lord. We want it to change us. And God, we also pray for obedient hands and feet that we could walk out the truth of your word this week. So God, be with us, be among us, speak to us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. You may be seated. Well, there's not much better, in my opinion, than getting time off for vacation, it's even better for most folks when you don't have to just take a vacation at your house, but you actually get to go away for vacation. I was thinking this past week in preparing for this message that there's basically two kinds of people in this world. There's people that like to go to the beach on vacation. Anybody? Beach people? Four of you. Great. This illustration is going to totally bomb. All right. <laughs> there's beach people. And then there's the other kind of people who like to go to the mountains. Any mountain people want to go hike? What is wrong with you? <laughs> I tell my wife all the time, if I'm going to go to, on vacation, I'm not going somewhere where I have to work for it. You know what I mean? I'm not going to go hike and climb mountains, so we're going to pray for you. But my, my family, when we're able, we love when we have the opportunity to go to the beach for a summer vacation. No matter where you go, we all have that same mindset. It's, it's fun to be in a new place. It's fun to go experience new things, stepping outside of your normal routines and your responsibilities into this new arena where you just get to enjoy it. Now, I may be unique in this, but something in me shifts typically when you go on vacation around day number four. I enjoy the first four days of vacation, but then something shifts because as much as I enjoy my time away, I'm ready to go home. Like, I enjoy the vacation, I enjoy the lack of responsibility, I enjoy all that stuff. But about day four, I want to go home because I want to be at my house, I want to sleep in my bed, because no matter where you go on vacation, the beds are always horrible, right? I want to sleep in my bed, I want to be in the place where I live, the city where I'm from, with my things. Because, listen to me, 
as much as I enjoy getting away, the reality is that no matter where you go, it's not home, right? It's not home, and there's not much better than home. And I want to remind us of this simple truth this morning as we close out this teaching series, I'm not saved. Profound truth, but so simple that if you're a follower of Jesus, this world is not your home. If you're a follower of Jesus, this world is not your home. And at some point, all of us, some more than others, some seasons more than other seasons, we felt that tension where the pain, the struggle, and the burden that can be the human experience overwhelm us, and we begin to long for heaven. God created something inside of us, and this is good, and this is a good thing that we have in our hearts that longs for heaven. I wonder why that is, and here's a second question I think sometimes we wrestle with. Is it okay to long for heaven sometimes? Is it okay to actually long for heaven? Well, what does the Bible say about this? Let me show you a few things. Paul struggled with this tension of of enjoying his life on earth, but still longing for heaven when he said in Philippians 1.23, he said, I'm torn between the two. He said, I, I long to depart and be with Christ. You ever had one of those days? You get ready to go to bed and you're like, Jesus, just please, just come back. I'm ready to go. But he said, but that's, that's far better. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11 that God has put eternity on our hearts that longing and desire for heaven. I love this quote from the late author C.S. Lewis. You've probably seen the Chronicles of Narnia series or the movies. He's the author of those. He wrote this of longing for heaven. He said, if I find in myself desires in which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Isn't that good? I want to remind us today that heaven awaits the follower of Jesus And that heaven is better than any life we have here on earth. And the good, the bad, the beautiful, and the painful of life, the joy and the sorrow, every aspect of life, write down these three words. This is so important. Lock these in the back of your brain. Heaven is better. Heaven is better. The fight against sin that we experience, the effects of sin that we experience. Listen, someday it's coming to an end. And what's our three words? Heaven is better. And if you're a follower of Jesus in the room this morning, heaven awaits you. Your life is this big. Eternity is this big. Heaven is better. Let me catch us up where we've been in this series so far, and then we're going to look at that idea of heaven is better. We could sum up this series, uh, I am not saved, with three words. Penalty, power, and presence. Penalty, power, and presence. Week one of this series, Pastor Joe talked about this doctrine, this idea of freedom from the penalty of sin. We said that's the big Bible word. If you're a Bible nerd in this room, some of y'all are, that's called the doctrine of justification, meaning that by nature, you and I are sinners separated from God. All of humanity, the Bible says, Romans 3.23, are sinners separated from God. And the only hope that we have is the rescue mission that was done by Jesus to set us free from the penalty of sin. We read a Bible verse to you that talks about that, Romans 5, 8, that while we were still, still sinners, Jesus died for us. Week number two, Seth helped us see the freedom from what we call the power of sin. So we had the penalty of sin and then the power of sin. Bible nerds, this is known as the doctrine of sanctification, that although we're declared not guilty, in the sight of God through faith in Jesus, Romans 5.1 talks about that, that when I stand before God and he says, why should I let you into my heaven? All you have to say is because I trusted in Jesus. 
Jesus paid the penalty for my sin debt. But here's the reality. All of us still have a daily battle against the desires of our flesh. I guarantee that from the moment you woke up this morning to the moment you walked in the doors of this church, everybody in this room probably sinned at least three dozen times, right? Maybe not. Maybe it's just me, all right? All of us, like we, we just deal with that. So what does the Spirit of God do? Seth reminded us that the Spirit of God is working inside of us to make us more like Jesus, but Galatians chapter 5, verse 24 says, I have a responsibility as a follower of Jesus to walk in obedience to what he says. It's a both and, not an either or. Sometimes we think to ourselves, oh, I just, I'm just going to trust the Spirit. The Spirit's going to do something in me. That's true. But at the exact same time, you have to make decisions to walk in obedience to Jesus. But our salvation doesn't stop there. We're free from the penalty of sin and the power of sin. We still experience sin and we stumble and we fall. And we ask the question, when will the presence of sin be taken away completely? This is known as the doctrine of glorification. That in the future, someday, when Jesus comes back, we will be completely free forever from the presence of sin. There is a day coming where, where these broken, sin-cursed bodies, this broken, sin-cursed world will be renewed and restored into what God intended. Listen to what the scripture says about this, Romans 8.23. It says, not only, not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the first fruits, listen to this, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Let me, let me just explain this verse if that was a little confusing for you. Paul says first that we've been sealed by the Spirit through faith in Jesus. That phrase, first fruits, that means you've repented of sin, you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, and now the Spirit of God dwells inside of you. That's pretty good news. If you've never done that, highly recommend it. We'll talk about that more this morning. But he says, although I put my faith in Jesus and the Spirit has sealed me, I'm still groaning inside, begging Jesus to come back and to fix what's still broken. Sin has still made its way in my body. Sin still affects me. I see sin all across creation, and I'm just begging Jesus, come back and make it right. Most of you know, there's only one way to phrase this, that I'm an idiot. And in that, a few weeks ago, I made a deal with my daughters that, uh, for a fundraiser for their school, that if, uh, if they were gonna raise money because their school's trying to build a playground, so for every $25 that they would raise for their school, um, I would run one mile on their behalf. That was stupid. <laughs> because I thought to myself, like when I made this video and I surprised them and we put it out on Facebook and Instagram and just trying to help them out, you know, it's my daughter's last year in elementary school. I'm like, I just want to make this special for her. I'm like, you know what? I bet maybe like 14, 15 miles tops is what I'm going to have to run. I wish. Um, we, 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 we crossed over 60 miles that I had to run. I told somebody this morning, I run for two things. I run from bears and two donuts. You know what I mean? Like, I don't run. Like, if my life is on the line and I have to run somewhere, I'm just going to lay down and give up. You know? I just, I can't do it. So, so far in the last two weeks, I've ran 44 miles in 14 days, and it's just as horrible as it sounds. <laughs> Running is boring, and it hurts, and it's painful. And I wake up every day. I'm not even kidding. You can ask my wife. I wake up every day. My legs are so stiff right now. Like, you probably see me coming up and down these steps, and you're thinking, what's wrong with this guy? They're so stiff. My knees, again, I feel like a 75-year-old man. They just crack all the time. Like, every part of me is just stiff. My hips, 
I hear some of you, some of you, some of you older saints in our church, you complain about your hips hurting, I feel you now. I'm like, I totally understand. I totally understand what you're going through, you know? But, but I, I also, in the midst of that, like, I, I, I get Paul's pain here. Because even if something as goofy as, as running and the effects of running on my body, what, what does Paul say? He said, I'm groaning within myself. Like, I want Jesus to come back and redeem this broken body. Because sin is just doing a number on me and on the world. And I just want Jesus to come back and fix it. Beyond that, think about the pain that we experience with the loss of loved ones, the, the stress and burdens of daily life, the heartache of broken relationships. I mean, we long for Jesus to come and fix these things. But not only that, we want him to fix creation. I mean, listen to this, Romans 8, verses 20 and 28, 21. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself would be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. Jesus is going to fix creation too at some point. So let's sum it up. Glorification is the goal of our, our salvation, the full realization of what Christ came for. Not only are we free from the penalty of sin and the power of sin, but someday we're going to be free from the presence of sin. So let's answer two questions quickly. I hope these are encouraging to you as we think about eternity today. All the songs we sing were about eternity. I hope you leave this morning and you're like, man, Jesus, I can't wait till you come back. But until you do, I will be faithful with the life that you've given me. Two questions we're going to answer about eternity, glorification. When will it happen and what will it be like? When will it happen and what will it be like? Question number one, when will it happen? Like when is Jesus going to come back and fix our bodies and fix creation? Track with me for just a few moments. Um, there's, there's two groups of people that have ever existed. All right, so we're going we're gonna to pretend we're in our, our second grade Sunday school class this morning. Two groups of people that have ever existed, that ever are living right now and that will ever exist in the future. Track with me here. Well, one group is those who have put their faith in God. Okay, that's group number one. Then there's the second group, those that didn't. So there's the ones that put their faith in God to rescue them from sin and those that didn't. If we wanted to put a label on them, we could say those that are saved, that's a church word, or those that are unsaved. All humanity, past, present, and future, can be divided into one of those two groups. Let's talk about the unsaved group for one second. Pastor Joe dealt with this on, day, on week number one. The unsaved group, sin separated them from God. We saw that in Romans 5. And they chose not to put their faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. So the Bible says that they'll spend eternity separated from God. We dealt with that in week one. We're not going to hash that out more. Then there's the saved group. We could call these people Christians, followers of Jesus, Hopefully this is you, that you're part of this group. You've trusted Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. Now, in that saved group, we're going to categorize a little bit more, that can be divided up into two groups of people. This is going to blow your mind. If you're saved, if you were a follower of Jesus, you can, you can either be alive or dead. Are we tracking? Some of you are like, are you serious right now? Yes, I'm, I just I'm promise for just a second. So you're a follower of Jesus. You can either be alive or you can be dead. Let's talk about those, you and I, who are living. If you were, as a follower of Jesus Christ, in this room to die right now, where would you go? It's not a trick question. Somebody please say it. 
you would go to heaven. Thank you so much. Some of you are like, he's going to say not heaven and we're going to be confused. No, you'd go to a place called heaven. The Bible often calls this a place called paradise. Now, we're not going to get into the, the theological nuances of that, but just very basically, if you're a follower of Jesus, you die right now, you go to a place called heaven or paradise. Let me show you this in the Bible. I'm not making it up. James 2.26. James writes, in fact, we're confident and we would prefer to be away from the body, where? At, and to be at home with the Lord. Your Bible translation might say to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. It means you would be where Jesus is, a place called heaven or paradise. The thief on the cross. Think about that guy. He was hanging there on the cross. The one guy is cursing Jesus. This guy acknowledges him as the son of God. Where did his soul go the moment that he died? Well, the Bible tells us, paradise or heaven, Luke 23, 43. Jesus looked at this man right before he died, and what did he say? Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. So the moment that you die, if you're a follower of Jesus, your soul gets sucked up to wherever heaven is, somewhere up there. We don't know where it is exactly. It's somewhere north, right? The moment that you die, pretty basic stuff. But this is important. Where does your body go? the dirt, the dust. The moment that you die, your soul goes to heaven, but your body goes into the ground. Remember, God created you. You are a material being, meaning that you have flesh and bone, but you're also a immaterial being, meaning that you have a soul that dwells inside of your body. So Genesis 3.19, God reminds Adam that you were created from the dust of the earth, and someday, back to the dust, you will return. That's how God created it. Your soul goes to heaven, your body goes to the earth. Now, this is where it gets really cool. Track with me. I think this is awesome. Hopefully, you will too. The Bible says that someday Jesus is coming again. That's known as the second coming in Scripture. You can read about that in Revelation 19, 1 Corinthians 15, where he's going to come back. He's going to destroy Satan and his armies, Revelation chapter 20. He's going to cast Satan and his armies into a place called the lake of fire. It's the, the second death. The enemies of God go there. He destroys anybody that stands opposed to him, and then he restores creation to its original intent. It's the culmination of our salvation, this idea of, of glorification. When Jesus comes back, you and I get whole body makeovers. That means that stubborn belly fat that you've been trying to get rid of, it's going to be gone, right? That's good news. Those aching knees, thank you, Lord, they're not going to ache no more. That twitch that some of y'all got because your kids, right? I feel you, I got two myself. Um, it's gonna go away. Because when Jesus comes back, he comes back to make over what he created. Scripture gives us a glimpse of this. Philippians chapter three. The Bible says our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly wait for a savior from there. What's Paul referencing? The second coming. Paul says, I'm not from here. I was created for heaven and someday my savior Jesus is gonna come back to get me. Then he goes on to say in verse 21, and then what will he do? He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body. It means this body that you got now is going to ultimately be transformed to look like and be like the resurrected body of Jesus. It's the restoration of your physical body. Now, how does all of this work? Because I thought we said our souls were in heaven, our bodies were down in the dirt, is the only way that I can explain it, and this is just me summarizing what the scriptures teach. I'll read this to you in just a second. That if when Jesus comes back, if you're, people are, if you're already dead, so 
If, let's say you and I, 50 years from now, we've all passed away. Jesus comes back 75 years from now. How does all of this work? The Bible says that whether your body was left in the ground, whether it was in a million ashes spread throughout the ocean, it doesn't matter. God is powerful enough to gather it all up. Your body will be resurrected and it will meet your soul in the air with the Lord Jesus where he will reunite it back together and it will be in a resurrected form completely transformed free from the power penalty and presence of sin for all eternity. And that's going to be stinking awesome. 1 Thessalonians 4.16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. There's the second coming. With the archangel's voice and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will do what? They will rise first. That's your body coming out the dirt, going up into the sky. Now watch this. I love this so much. If you're still alive when Jesus comes back, let's say that we're in the middle of church right now and you all get lucky. And Jesus comes back in the middle of my sermon. Not only will you say amen before you go up. But the Bible says that after the dead in Christ rise first and they're joined, then you and I will meet them in the air if we are still alive. 1 Thessalonians 4, 17, those who are still alive, who are left, guess what? You will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and we will be always with the Lord. What sin ruined, Jesus will restore. So can I remind us this morning, hang on. I know sometimes there's happiness and joy in life, and we're grateful but it seems like more and more, the more conversations we have, the more life progresses, that, that sorrow and pain and grief are becoming more and more common. It's the effects of sin. It's the earth groaning for the return of Christ. Christian, hang on. Jesus will come back and he will make things right. He will redeem our bodies and transform them into his likeness, but it gets even better. What will eternity be like? What will eternity be like? Fast forward, Jesus has come back. Our bodies have been restored. We're in heaven, eternity with Jesus Christ. What happens next? Revelation chapter 21. Look at this. John says, so this is looking into the future. God gave John a vision into the future. He said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth passed away. The sea was no more. Verse two, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. There's a new heaven and a new earth that awaits us that we'll get to enjoy forever. This is important for you. Circle the word new in your Bible there in verse 1. That's not a word that means new in the sense that it has never been seen before. Instead, that's a word new in the Greek that means it's a renewed version of a former thing. It's like something was made again in the way that it was intended to be made. I think of it this way. Anybody in here watch those home makeover TV shows? Y'all judge me. I don't care. I love them. Chip and Joanna Gaines all day, right? I love them. Fixer Upper, please. You know, I love those shows. But think about that. What do they do? They go into a home that's functional, but it's broken. It's broken down. Paint's peeling off the walls. Things are not operating the way that they were supposed to. Time has had its way with that house. Everything's overgrown, falling apart. But after several weeks, what happens? They restore it back to its original purpose and intent. That's the word new in Revelation 21. That Jesus is gonna make the world back into what he intended it to be for all eternity. It will be just like the current one minus the presence of sin. Think about that. The Bible says in 2 Peter 3.10 that the old one will be destroyed and the new one will be that renewed version. 
Listen to this, 2 Peter 3.10. The day of the Lord will come like a thief, and on that day the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and dissolve, and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. Think about it this way. Think about the beauty of a sunrise, especially this time of year. Think about the beauty of waves and the sound of them crashing on the beach. For you mountain people, think about the breathtaking view of the mountains. And if that's what they look like with the curse of sin lingering on them, can you imagine what it's going to look like when Jesus completely removes the presence of sin forever? I mean, man, you talk about grace. Sin has absolutely soaked this world, and it's still pretty beautiful. Imagine what it'll look like when Jesus removes the presence of sin forever. Now, my brain wanders a little bit here. I, I wrote these things down. If pizza's good now, what's it going to be like without the curse of sin? I'll probably spend a few weeks in Italy. Will spinach till, still taste gross? I don't know. Probably not. Probably tastes like a cupcake if we're lucky. Will Little Debbie Christmas tree cake still, ha will they have the same nutritional value as a salad? Probably. Can you imagine a Chick-fil-A sandwich without the curse of sin? And they'll probably be open on Sunday in eternity. Because we're going to worship every day, you know? I'm just guessing. I mean, I don't think we can fathom what, what eternity is going to be like when the presence of sin is removed forever. Look at verse 3 of Revelation 21. John said, I heard a loud, loud voice from the throne. He said, look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them, and they'll be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. I love this verse because there's a reunion that's happening. Notice right there in verse 3, it says that God's dwelling was with who? Humanity. That's all humans past, present, and future that put their faith in a Messiah that we know to be Jesus, all gathered together on the new earth, dwelling forever with God. When I, I do funerals probably five or six times a year as a, a pastor, and when I know that the person that passed away is a follower of Jesus, I always tell the family this, that death is not goodbye, it's see you soon. Like verse three is the see you soon moment in scripture. Verse three is when everybody that has already passed away and those who were still alive have been caught up. This is when we're all gathered around the throne for all eternity. Think about this. The grandparents that passed away when we were young that were followers of Christ will be there. The family members and the friends who, whose lives ended too soon, tragically, this is where we'll see them again. The children that were lost to miscarriages and sickness, they'll be there. And in Christ, there's a big family reunion. Those who went before us, those after us, will be reunited with us for all eternity because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross for us. I want to I address this real quick, too. I read this verse this week. I've never read this in my entire walk with Jesus. been walking with Jesus for 20 years. I want you to read this because I think this is going to bring some comfort to some folks today. Isaiah 49, 22. It'll be up on our screen. It says, this is what the Lord God says. Look, I will lift up my hand to the nations. I'll raise my banner to all the peoples. And then listen to this. They'll bring your sons in their arms and your daughters will be carried on their shoulders. Now in context, Isaiah is a historical book of the Bible, but it's also very prophetic, meaning it looks to the future. So historically, this was Isaiah recording Israel, who had been in Babylonian captivity, had gotten free, and were returning back home. It's very specific in its historical nature. 
Yet many Bible teachers believe that this was also a prophecy that was actually looking down the corridor of time into eternity and specifically looking towards Revelation 21 when God gathered all of humanity around the throne on the new earth. And there's so many different, like with prophecy, um, you always are just speculating what it could mean. We never know for certain, really, what a, prof- a verse of prophecy means until it's already happened. Once it happens, then we can look back and go, yeah, duh, we knew exactly what that meant. But in the moment, you don't really know. There's so many interpretations of this verse, but I love what J.D. Greer says about it. Thinking about eternity, thinking about Revelation 21, thinking about everybody, past, present, and future, that were followers of Jesus, gathered around the throne. Let me read this for us one more time, Isaiah 49. I'll lift my hand to the nations and raise my banner to all the peoples. That's Jesus setting up his lordship and rulership for all eternity. We see that there in Revelation 21. And they'll bring your sons in their arms, and your daughters will be carried on their shoulders. And J.D. Greer said this about this verse. He said, I'd have to think that this verse is a comfort for parents who have lost children. Maybe in an accident, a disease, or a miscarriage, that when they arrive in heaven that they'll see that son brought back by the angels in their arms or those lost daughters being carried back to them in heaven on the shoulders of an angel. And what a day that's going to be, isn't it? Satan's not going to win. A big reunion with each other and with Jesus. Look at verse 3. John goes on to write, I heard with a loud voice from the throne, look, God's dwellings with humanity and he'll live with them and they'll be his peoples and God himself will be with them and will be their God. I mean, God dwelling with us for all eternity, that's what makes heaven heaven. Francis Chan years ago asked, if you got all the glories of heaven that the Bible describes, but Jesus wasn't there, would you still want to go? No. Because God and Jesus are what make heaven heaven. It's not that we get to be reunited with, with family and friends for eternity, but we get to love and enjoy God forever. That's what our hearts long for. St. Augustine said, said, man, I don't remember how many years ago, but he was quoted as saying that there's a God-shaped hole in the heart of every human being, and that will only be satisfied ultimately in eternity when we get to be and dwell with God forever. Look at verse 4. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, pain, no more, because previous things have passed away. Let's sit here for a second. Think about this. Pain is gone in eternity. That means joints don't ache anymore. There's no more illness. Cancer is gone, thank God. I heard a stat two weeks ago that said one in four Americans will end up with cancer by the end of their life now. In eternity, it's gone. Means that hospitals and emergency rooms, we don't have need for them anymore. If that's your job here on earth, you're gonna have to change professions in eternity, okay? Broken bones, not gonna happen. The Bible says no more tears meaning that we will not experience the pain of loss anymore. Separation will not be a thing anymore. We will no longer long for what we can't have, and we will no longer long for what was taken from us. There will be no more depression in heaven, no more anxiety. John says in verse 4 that grief will be gone, death eradicated. We'll never feel the sting of death ever again. Loss will never be felt again. The power and pain of sin will be completely removed forever. That's good news. I love that phrase in verse 4. I'd underline it in your Bible where John said that Jesus will wipe away the tears from our eyes. You ever paused and thought about that? If we're in eternity with a glorified body, why would we be crying in that moment? 
Why would we be crying in that moment if we have everything ultimately that our salvation has led to? What would cause those tears? I'm not certain. I wrote down a few thoughts. I wonder if it's the emotion of seeing what Jesus paid for for us to get eternity. I wonder if it's the emotion where we finally realize when we step into glory the depth of the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf. I wonder if it's a feeling of unworthiness that we actually get to stand in the presence of God for eternity. I wonder if it's the overwhelming thought that the presence of sin will never, ever, forever be felt again. I wonder if it's the realization that everything we experienced on earth, the good and the bad, the beautiful and the painful, that God actually did use that to draw us closer to him. And the Jesus that we leaned so hard on in our times of desperation, we finally get to see him face to face. I read this this week. We'll start to, to close down here. Of a quote from a lady named uh, Joni Erickson Tata. You've probably heard her name in some capacity before. She's a pretty well-known Christian speaker. At the age of 17, she was in a diving accident. In that diving accident, it left her body paralyzed from the neck down, wheelchair-bound for literally her entire life. And she uses that platform now that God has given her um, to share of Jesus' all-sufficient grace, that in our weakness, that Jesus is actually strong. And we can lean on him in our, our pain. And she was quoted as saying this, thinking about, and it literally for her, an entire life lived in a wheelchair, paralyzed from the neck down. And she talks about how she hopes she can take her wheelchair to heaven. And think about this. She said, I hope in some way I can take my wheelchair to heaven. And with my new and glorified body, I will stand up from that wheelchair on resurrected legs. And I'll be next to the Lord Jesus. And I'll feel those nail prints in his hands and I'll say, thank you, Jesus. And he'll know I mean it because he'll recognize me from how hard I leaned on him during my sufferings. And then I'll say to him, Jesus, do you see that wheelchair over there? Well, you were right. When you put me in it, I, I was in a lot of trouble. But the weaker I was in that thing, the harder I got to lean on you. And the harder I leaned on you, Jesus, the stronger I discovered that you were. And I don't think I would have ever known the glory of your grace if it were not for the weakness of that wheelchair. So thank you, Jesus, for the wheelchair. Now, if you don't mind, cast that wheelchair into hell. <laughs> in our weakness, he's strong. In, in, in the human experience, we're reminded that when life, just the pressure seems to just be, Lord, I can't bear anymore, that we have this invitation to lean on Jesus. And we don't have to be strong. We lean on him, and he's the one that is strong. There's so much we could talk about in regard to eternity, and I'll close with this. I heard years ago, and I think it sums this up well, that if you're not a follower of Jesus, that this life is the closest to heaven that you're ever going to get. But if you are a follower of Jesus, I hope this brings you comfort. This life is the closest to hell that you'll ever experience. Heaven is better. Pain, sorrow, and struggle, joy, and happiness, heaven is better. Lean on Jesus. In the joy, the sorrow, the beauty, and the pain, lean on Jesus. 
As the praise team comes, let me read the closing verse of Revelation 22. We think about glory and eternity. This is Jesus speaking. He says, he who testifies about these things, and listen to what Jesus says to us, five words. Yes, I am coming soon. He's coming again. Hang on. Jesus is coming again. And eternity is going to be far better than we could have ever imagined. Let's stand as we sing, and I'm going to pray for us. God, we love you so much. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that today's passages, Lord, would just be an encouragement to the church. That God, because of Jesus, we have a living hope. God, not only are we set free from the penalty of sin, Lord, and we can have the, a relationship with you right now, in the here and now, Lord, what a gift. But that'll carry over into eternity when someday you will remove the presence of sin forever. So God, I pray now as we, as we walk in obedience with the lives that you've given us, that even in the struggle, Lord, we would not run from you, but we would run to you. And in running to you, that we would find your grace, grace is sufficient, Lord, that you are a God that we can lean on in the struggle. But Father, at the exact same time, I pray that you continue to keep the longing for eternity in our hearts. And that in that longing that we feel, Lord, that we would try to take as many people with us to heaven as we can. Lord, that we would be obedient in sharing the rescue mission that Jesus came for that we could be set free from the penalty of sin and not only enjoy life with you on earth, but enjoy life with you for eternity. Gotta pray now as we sing that our voices are a sweet sound through the corridors of heaven, Lord, as we join the angels in giving you the praise that you deserve. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray, amen.